All right. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 11. We're going to talk about obedience today, the rewards of obedience. Obedience isn't really a fun word for a lot of people. People would rather rebel. People would rather not do what they're told to do. I'm one of those people. It's just kind of a natural thing. If somebody tells me what to do, it's my natural thing. I'm like, no, I'm going to go do this. <laughs> but yet when we read in the Bible about obedience, we read that the Lord's promises come with obedience. And that our obedience is us showing love to the Father. And so the rewards of obedience is just simply a relationship with the Father so that the Lord prospers us because of this love relationship that's going both ways. You know, we can only really love because God first loved us. God is where we know how to love because he is love. So there's no other way that any other form of love that doesn't involve God is a substitute and, and, and isn't on the same level as what God can offer. And yet God calls us continually to obedience, continually to obey him. This, this year, we're doing this Bible study, the Bible in one year, where I send out a, the daily reading, a little bit of a devotional. And so we've been in Deuteronomy for the past couple weeks. So my mind's fully set in Deuteronomy. My mind's been set in the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. You know, Moses is the Mosaic law. And going through all of the different steps that the Lord has brought in obedience again to bring love back into the equation. And we can look at Leviticus today and think, oh, there's so many rules. There's so many weird things here. And obviously we don't follow a lot of those things today because of Christ. But we look at that and say, why did this ever make sense? It can kind of confuse us at times. But yet hopefully throughout this morning, we'll be able to get a better, a better picture of what that law meant and why the Lord was, was giving this out. In Deuteronomy, it's full of speeches from Moses. And Moses, is, Moses and all of Israel at this moment are just at the precipice of entering into the promised land. They, they're in the wilderness. They've, they've been, walked through seven wildernesses over the 40 years. And they've reached this point to where they're, they're right at the edge and they're going to enter in. And Moses is giving them their final commandments that, that the Lord is giving to him. And so Moses starts this or, end, or talk, you know, does this speech with, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. So right away, he says, you shall therefore love your God and relates that immediately to keeping his charge, to obedience, obeying his ordinances and his commandments. Know this day that I am not speaking with your sons who have not known and who have not seen the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, and his signs and his works which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land. And what he did to Egypt's army, to its horses and its chariots, when he made the water, for the red, water of the Red Sea to engulf them while they were pursuing you, and the Lord completely destroyed them. 
and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, when the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them, their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them among all Israel. But your own eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord, which he did. So let's jump into some context here. I always have to go for context and to figure out where we're at. You know, I... I used to love watching this show, Man vs. Wild, with Bear Grylls. He was this military guy, kind of survivalist expert, had a show on Discovery Channel, I think. And so his thing was, he would be thrown, he would be placed in this unknown area, this unknown wilderness, and he would have to survive. He'd have to get out within a certain amount of days. And so as soon as they would drop him off, he would, you know, sometimes they'd drop him in water, he'd have to swim out in, into, onto the island, or if he's in the forest, he'd just be dropped in the middle, you know, whatever open area there is. And the first thing he always did was to find a high place to, to scout out the land. You know, he, sometimes he would climb a tree. Sometimes he would climb a mountain, whatever mountain or hill that, that, that was available. And what he did was he would look out and he would see. He would look for creeks, look for where the water was flowing. It would give him a better picture of where he was at. And it's the same with the Bible. When we enter into just reading it as readers, if we start with a passage in the middle of something, we have to kind of get a little bit more context and get a wider picture of where, of where we're at. Because we never know where we're going until we know where we're at in the moment. And so here in Deuteronomy 11, I already said they're at the precipice of entering the promised land. But we know also that they've had 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. As it mentions in this scripture that the Lord saved them out of Egypt and he split the Red Sea for them. He did all of these miraculous things to bring Israel out of their oppression, out of their slavery. But they didn't enter into the promised land right away. They had to walk through some testing, some times of trial. They had to walk through the wilderness before they got there. And as they walked through the wilderness, they complained and they grumbled a lot. And they made Moses mad. And he would talk to the Lord and say, Lord, these people that you gave me, they just complain all the time. And then later on, the Lord will even will talk to Moses and say, Moses, these people, they just complain. And so it's Moses and the Lord talking about these people all the time because of how, how much they, they complained and grumbled. They were brought out of slavery into freedom, and yet they often pined to, be, to return to Egypt. They often wanted to enter back into their slavery because some things were easier at that moment. And strangely enough, a lot of it revolved around food. They'd be wandering, they'd be hungry, they'd be hangry, right? And so as they're, as they're walking in, in, in the wilderness and they're thinking of all the meat that they had in Egypt, they say, why are we out here? Why are we, why are we doing this? Yeah, we, had to, we got whipped and had to build pyramids or whatever they had to do. But we had meat, we had fish. That was one thing that they, that they miss. The, the fish in Egypt was great and here we have nothing. And then the Lord continues to do these miracles. Bring, rains manna down from heaven. Gives them birds to eat. But, yeah, this is kind of amazing at first. The manna is sweet at first. But after a while, they start thinking about the food back in Egypt again. And they start complaining again. 
We don't even have water out here. We're in the desert. There's nothing here for us. Why did Moses bring us out here? And it was a continual grumbling, a continual complaining. This season that we, we find ourselves in is Lent. And traditionally, Lent is tied to Christ's 40 days in the wilderness experience where he fasted and where he faced temptation. And so Lent itself, I don't know how many of you are doing it, but you know, oftentimes people will enter into Lent and give up something. It's, it's, a, it's fasting. Oftentimes it's food, but it doesn't always have to be food. It could be social media, it could be television, it could be news, you know, it could be a wide range of things. But the idea behind it is to get rid of these things that kind of emotionally support us on some level, these things that can kind of grow into being idolatrous in our lives, that we look to them more than we look to the Lord. So when getting rid of all this other stuff and focusing solely on the Lord through fasting, that's how we, we put ourselves in this own kind of, our own sense of wilderness here. Because it's getting rid of all the other stuff and it's placing us into this barren sort of spiritual land in a sense by getting rid of all the other emotional support and saying, Lord, it's you alone. I'm looking to you. And so some of us do better than others at it as well, you know, especially with food. Food, you know, we can say, oh, I'm going to fast for a whole week. And then the first day you find, wind up breaking that fast. And then you feel like a failure. But I don't think the Lord sees it that same way. I think the intention of the heart is, is, is really what the Lord's going after and, and just the relationship, just the time spent together is really what the Lord's after in that moment. I, I went to the International House of Prayer. Um, it's in Kansas City. It's Mike Bickle's ministry. I, I went and did an internship there in 2009. And while there... What I did was a fire in the night program. So, you know, they have their, their prayer room there. And so the fire in the night program was throughout the night, you go in, you spend at least six hours just sitting in the prayer room and praying to God. So they call themselves intercessory missionaries there. And it's them just offering up themselves to the Lord through prayer, praying for the world, praying for, for the city, praying for the nation. And at times it that prayer room was really sweet. The presence of the Lord there, you could really feel it. The music playing, the worship all, the, all around, everyone praying around you. It was really sweet. But then at other times, and which was probably mostly my experience there, was it was, it was almost sort of torturous on another level. You go in and you sit there and you're there for six hours. And it's just you and God. It's, it's just another type of wilderness. Because you've got to face yourself and you've got to face the Lord. And so you sit there, and then sometimes the anger kind of takes over, too, of being in there. And at one point, Lou Ingle, who who's a major part of, of, of that ministry as well, he's, he has his own ministry, but he's a part of with Mike Bickle. Lou Ingle called for a fast, and that guy's always fasting. But he, he called for a fast at this time, and I forget what exactly it was for, but he was calling for a 40-day fast. And so I decided to join in. I'd never been a good faster before. Obviously, I'm still not a good faster. <laughs> but I decided, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to try it. 40-day water fast, no food. And I had all of, all of these, this excitement about it. 
which typically, you know, uh, if I was thinking about not eating, I wouldn't be excited about that. But for this fast, I had so much excitement. And I was thinking, oh man, the Lord's gonna come and meet me. The Lord's gonna come and do amazing things. I'm gonna have all these experiential moments during this fast. And so I jump into it and we go through the first full week and guess what happens? Nothing. I'm hungry. And I'm angry. And I'm sitting in that prayer room with that music, the same, same type of music every single night. <laughs> and it was just torture. And I was thinking, Lord, what am I doing this for? Not only the fast, but why am I here at IHOP? What are you doing here? And so I would go through each night angry, go, go into the prayer room, be angry. And then the second week comes, and so I was, I was thinking, okay, well, first week, all right, it's a wash. So second week, second week, you know, we're, we're going to start experiencing things. We're going to start seeing the Lord. Second week comes, second week goes, nothing. And I'm still hungry, and I'm still angry. And at that point, the stomach is kind of starting to shut down. Like if, if you can get through two weeks of, of fasting food, it, it's all a mind game after that. But you will start seeing food everywhere. And you will smell food everywhere. And you're not even hungry, but it's just, you don't know how much food is a part of society until you go without it. And so it was everywhere around me, even at IHOP, there's food. They had a, a coffee shop and they had these great um, um, cinnamon buns. <laughs> and you could just smell it, right? And, and so that helped my anger. I was, I was being around that food and not, not getting anything else for it. And really, I had the wrong idea of what fasting is. I was going into it. I know God was going to change me, but I was wanting all these, these nice little moments, these, these little butterfly in your tummy kind of moments of the Lord reaching out and doing something in my life, changing me somehow. And I wasn't necessarily doing it for him as much as I was doing it for myself, Right? So that was the big problem. That was the big disconnect there. But, and that's really something I only realized after the fact. You know, I can say it with confidence now, but at the time I was, I was just angry. But there was this one moment halfway through. It, it was pretty much exactly halfway through. I walked into the prayer room and I sat down, not expecting anything because I already knew nothing was gonna happen. And I went and sat down and as soon as I sat down, I could feel warmth on me. And I could feel the presence of the Lord. And as the night progressed, it was, it was a sweet night of the Lord meeting me. And the Lord pouring out his wisdom into me about marriage, which I really struggled with at the time. I was dating my wife, Megan, who was actually here this morning, sitting up front. I was dating her for four years and wasn't really thinking about proposing. And I know she had a different... Um, different attitude during those whole four years and wanting to be proposed to. But marriage was, to me, was my parents were divorced, and so I didn't really see, I didn't want to go into that and fail. I didn't want to go into that and continue, the, continue what's happened in the past. I didn't want to have kids and then get divorced and then be separated from them, all that stuff. And, and it all fed into a wrong understanding of what marriage was. But the Lord really poured into me what, what marriage is to him and how it's a uniting of him, and how it's his created order, how he brought man and woman together to unite together and be bonded together with him in the middle. 
And so it was a whole night of the Lord mainly talking to me about that. But I, throughout the night, I, I had that kind of um, hot wax feeling. I don't know if, if anyone else has had that. But it's just it was like something was pouring on my head. It was just this warm tingling that was just kind of going down. So that whole night, I, I, I left transformed, I left changed, and I left happy. And I wasn't hungry anymore. And then I woke up the next morning, or the next evening, because this was the, the Fire in the Night program. And, and it walked into the prayer room, sat down expecting more, expecting that same thing, and nothing. The last 20 days was that. It was just, it was, it was just me not eating, sitting in the prayer room, trying to pray to the Lord, facing God in my own wilderness. So our wilderness experiences are, can be something that we put ourselves in, just like with fasting. We can put ourselves in that situation to where we, we want to trust and rely on the Lord. Sometimes, though, the wilderness experience can be put on us through decisions that other people make, through mistakes we may have done, committed. You know, we, we receive consequences, and then we end up in this sort of wilderness ourselves. Something that happened to my wife and I was when this was a wilderness experience because when we were pregnant with our son, we made it through the first, I, I told this story last night and then I went home and my wife had a lot of notes for me about you told this wrong, you told this wrong, you told this wrong. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think it through <laughs> at this moment. It was the first trimester and we didn't know the sex of the child yet, but we knew, we knew she was pregnant, uh, but she started bleeding. And so we rushed to the hospital because we had thought she had miscarried. And I, I can remember driving to the hospital that first time and kind of not really talking between us, but I can feel the, the dread just in my stomach and it amazed me that I had not met this child but I already had so much love for this child that the thought of losing this child just completely gutted me as we were driving to the hospital. And we got to the hospital and they rushed Megan into the back. I couldn't go back with her. We were at the ER. And they went and did tests. And she said that the tech there did the ultrasound, looked for a heartbeat. And so Megan said that she saw the heartbeat on the monitor, but the tech didn't tell her that the baby's heart was beating. And the tech lab, I guess the techs can't do that or something like that, they gotta wait for the doctor. But so at that moment was when Megan thought, okay, well, this baby's alive and there was some hope there, but then also she was worried that because of the bleeding, she was worried she might miscarry a baby who was still alive. And so that added more stress to her at this time. And so the doctor came back, told us, your, your, baby's, your baby's alive, your baby has a heartbeat. We don't know why there's bleeding. And then sent us home. And then so we, we go home, we pray about, you know, we, we pray and don't know exactly what's happening here. And then again, she has more bleeding as we go, as the days progress. And we have to rush back to the hospital with the same sort of feelings same sort of worry. We go through the same thing. 
And at some point, the doctor comes in and tells us again, we don't know why you're bleeding. We've done tests. We can't tell anything. And this doctor tells us, all we can do is pray. So this was in East Texas, so it's kind of not out of the ordinary necessarily, but it still is out of the ordinary. Plus, it's not something you really want to hear from your doctor saying, I don't know, just pray about it. You know? You, you want something a little bit more from him. And so we left, and we were in anguish. We didn't, this, was, this was still early on in the pregnancy, and we didn't know what to do. So we'd go home, we'd pray. And I remember this one time praying about it at home. I was, I was falling asleep. This is it's how I pray. When I pray, I fall asleep. And so I was praying and I was falling asleep. And I don't know if, the God's, if, if God specifically spoke to me audibly or, or not, but it felt like he did. And the Lord told, as I was praying for our child, I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. As I was praying for our child and saying, Lord, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm scared, and I'm stressed. And the Lord spoke to me and gave me three words, or, or three, three sentences, basically, but, you know, a word in the broader sense. He said, one, your child will live. It'll be a boy, and his name is Isaiah. And I remember, yeah, and I remember being, just being so overwhelmed in that moment, just in myself. And then I still fell asleep. <laughs> and the next day, didn't tell, didn't tell Megan anything. And we had an um, ultrasound to, to determine the sex that was like a week away. So I just kind of held it. And no bleeding happened. We went to the ultrasound found out it was going to be a boy. So I told Megan everything that the Lord said. And we were already thinking of naming our, if we had a son, we were thinking about naming him Samuel. And so we said, well, God's already given us this promise. And God's already decided the name for us. So we're going to name him Isaiah. So we, so we named him Isaiah Samuel at that moment. And we still had two trimesters to go, though. We were only three months into it. So we had this wilderness experience of we were, there was still more bleeding that happened after this, still more stress, still more doctors that say, I don't know. And, but yet we had God's promise in the midst of it. And, and every single time, it was still stressful going to the doctor, but every single time, God's promise reigned supreme. And so we went through the last six months not knowing exactly what was going to happen because we were in our wilderness. And many people that are in the wilderness are in there with uncertainty going on. They don't know when or if they're going to get out of the wilderness. We had a little bit different experience because we knew when. And we held on to the hope that, well, God said, God said Isaiah will be born. So we just held on to that. And now Isaiah is here. He's seven years old. He loves Roblox and Minecraft. He loves telling jokes and hitting me and wrestling me. 
And, and all of that was seeing God's promise. So you see, in the wilderness experience, no matter if it's something we put ourselves in or if it's something that's forced on us, if we are in God and if we are obedient to the Lord, God's promise is gonna see us through it. God always gives us hope. God always gives us a promise out of it. And we don't know when we're gonna get out of it. There's still gonna be uncertainty there. All we know is that God is gonna rescue us. God is gonna redeem us. God is gonna bring us out of this time. You know, a lot of us have been thrown in collectively into the wilderness of COVID this past year. It was almost a year ago exactly, it'll be later this week, when we had that big conference with Global Awakening, Randy Clark, Bill Johnson here. And as they were here was when COVID was hitting New Mexico. And... And it was hitting all over the place and Bill Johnson had closed down his churches because of COVID in California. And so because it was rising in numbers here, we, we shut down immediately after that weekend for two weeks, I believe. And so throughout this whole last year, we've, we've been kind of thrown into uncertainty. Uncertainty about the illness. No one really knows exactly what this is. We've been thrown into uncertainty with governmental regulations and whether we can meet again, when we can meet again, what we can do, all this kind of stuff. And yet in the midst of it, God is still here and God is still speaking. You know, God's been among us as well here at New Life City. And so we've done our best to comply with state regulations, but we're also not forsaking the meeting, the corporate body. Because we know that there's Within this meeting, this is what God wants for us. And this is where God reveals himself to us on a greater level than just being at home by ourselves. Which is why we're calling a lot of people back. If, you know, some people have specific worries in their life, have, or, you know, live with people who are, have, have some sort of underlying health condition that makes COVID more dangerous. For them, we're not pushing, you know, we're not adding any extra pressure. But for everybody else, who does feel comfortable and just isn't showing up to church because of some comfort or some new learned habit, we're calling you home. Because we wanna be together again. We We wanna experience the Lord together and we do that through fellowship. Because one thing about this church is that we are a family. A lot of churches say that, but this church lives it. We are a family here and we wanna be together. We wanna share in God's goodness together. So this next, this next passage in Deuteronomy 11 says, you shall therefore, the previous passage ended with, your own eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord, which he did. It ended with God's, the testimonies of God's promises, looking at all of the good things the Lord has done. And so as a result of all of the good things God has done for Israel, Moses is saying, therefore, keep every commandment. Moses is saying, therefore, be obedient. Keep every commandment which I am commanding you today so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land into which you're about to cross. So that you may prolong your days on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. At this time, Moses himself could not enter the promised land because of his own disobedience. And because of the people, it kind of goes back and forth on on, on exactly what what the reason is. 
Moses blames those people. But Moses can't get into the promised land, and, and the, the, the whole generation of Moses can't enter into the promised land because of their continual grumbling, them trying to, trying to usurp Moses' power, the golden calf incident as well. All of this stuff, they, they, they just weren't ready for it. But the sons, the children of those people are ready for it. And the Lord's going to take them into the promised land at this moment. And so, he's, so Moses is telling them, a lot of the other people have died. A lot of the older generation have passed away. But Moses is telling this new generation, obey. Don't be like your parents. Don't walk in disobedience because you've seen what happens to that, to them. Instead, obey so that you may be strong and possess the land. I still think that there's a contingency here for Israel, that if, if they all of a sudden had another golden calf incident, they probably would have wandered a little bit longer. But the Lord is calling them to obedience, to walk in his goodness. He says, for the land into which you are heading is not like Egypt, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden. In Egypt, they, they were proud of the Nile. That, that was their main water source coming through. But it, if you wanted to plant something, you couldn't, there wasn't enough land around just the water banks themselves that you had to create your own irrigation channels. And they often did this through some sort of foot pedal you know, machine to water their, their gardens. And so they had this, this, this beautiful source of water, this source of support for them, but they still had to do a lot of work to, to get the water from there into, the, into their gardens. And the Lord is saying, it's not like how it's going to be in Egypt. He says, but the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. So this promised land that they're going into is, is really only special because the Lord's going to be there, right? There's nothing special about the land itself. It's actually, a real, it's still somewhat wildernessy area. It's not a great land for planting, but the Lord's going to come and take care of it. And, and he can only do so, the Lord can only be there and prosper Israel if Israel is obedient to him. We have the Levitical law that, that brought a lot of these laws to, to Israel at this time, calling for holiness for them, to put away other gods, because these other gods don't match up to Yahweh. And to walk in obedience, giving them some laws that relate to hygiene, you know, and um, proper hygiene for them, some laws are just setting Israel apart from the other nations and setting them apart from pagan worship in the area. But all of the Levitical law is calling them to obedience. And when we read here that the land that they're entering into drinks water from the rain of heaven and the eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, it's a land which the Lord your God cares. It brings us back to the Garden of Eden. where the Lord cared for the land there. And you know, when the Lord cares for the land, it's always, easy, it's always better doing something with somebody who knows what they're doing, right? It's always easier that way. 
when Megan and I went up to New Hampshire, I was um, going to do graduate school out there. We were, and she's from, from from Vermont, so she's from that area. We knew a lot of people there, and we went up the summer before I started in the fall. And I needed a job. I needed something to do, and so we had a friend. I had a friend who did hardscaping. It's it building walls, building stone patios. I knew nothing about building. I'm not great at math. You know, I, I don't have the skills necessarily for that, but I can, I can lift heavy things and I can carry them. And so that, so that, was, that was my only, only prerequisite for, for doing this job. And so he needed help. And he said, yeah, come work with me. So I went and we built some amazing things, things that I would never have known I could build all because of his expertise and all of the resources that he had. He had all the tools. He had the thousands of dollars worth of tools to be able to do it right, to be able to make these stone patios, to build these walls. And so we did things that were amazing and that were beautiful and that I couldn't replicate today without his expertise and without his help. Just recently, I, we have a small patch of grass in our backyard and this past winter, I had left the water running. And we have a timer that starts a sprinkler on there. So when, when it froze, it burst the, the timer. You know, they turned into ice and exploded the timer. So the Megan told me I had to fix it. And now that it's warming up, I thought, okay, well, it's, it's time to fix it this week. You know, it was, it was sunny. We had another timer. It went out. It just connected to the, the faucet, to the timer, to the PVC pipe, which then goes down to the, to the sprinkler system. And so I set it all up the first time, got everything connected. It looked great to me. Turn on the water, and then water starts shooting out of every single crevice, even the timer itself, but not out of the sprinklers. And so I don't know what I did wrong, but obviously I didn't know what I was doing. And so I took everything apart. And then tried putting it back on again. But this time, the timer got stuck. I was, I, was, I was attaching it to the PVC pipe at first. And it got stuck. And it was facing the wrong way. It was facing the wall. And I needed to change it. But it wasn't, it wasn't moving. So I kept on applying force. And then a little bit more force. More and more. And then eventually, the whole PVC pipe snaps. And now I've created a bigger mess. And now we've had to call the guy to come out. The guy who set it up to come out and fix it. Because I don't know what I'm doing. Right? And so he's going to come out, and he's going to be able to set it up. He's probably going to take him 10, 15 minutes to figure it out, something that took me an hour I struggled with, and I broke it, cut my hands. I was angry all night. It took me out for the whole evening, and he's going to come and do it just like that. And so when we look at the Garden of Eden experience and what the Lord is calling Israel to at this time, he's, he's, he's bringing Israel back to a what he originally created, to the life he wanted for mankind in him in the garden. A land for which he would care for and a people for which he would care for and a people that would love him at the same time. When we go back to the Garden of Eden and, and, and talk about Adam and Eve and, and what they faced and looking at it through these, these laws, rewards of obedience and disobedience, and we see what they did there. They were given a choice in the garden. So Adam and Eve weren't robots, right? They were humans. They were, they were just like us. And they weren't programmed to just love the Lord. They had to make that choice for themselves. 
And so the Lord had two trees that he set there, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of eternal life. And they could eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so sometimes we look at the, the Garden of Eden and we look at these trees and we think they have these somewhat magical characteristics about it. That when they eat it from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're going to, through some sort of magical act, get a download of what all good and evil is. What I think was going on there, and my interpretation, is that the Lord was giving them a choice to show their obedience or disobedience, a choice to show their love for him or that not. And so when they ate from the garden or from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they experienced the consequences of disobedience. So it wasn't anything magical, but it was just because of their disobedience that they all of a sudden realized the shame of not obeying the Lord. They realized the embarrassment of disobedience. And so they, they, they felt all these things, and then they received what we'll read later. They received the curses that come with disobedience. Because with obedience comes the Lord's blessing. The Lord will care for the land. The Lord will care for you. With disobedience comes curses. And the curses come because we're walking away from the Lord. And we're saying, we can do this on our own. We don't need your help. That's what we're really telling the Lord when we're, when we're being disobedient. And so the Lord says, okay, I'm going to step back. But this is what's going to happen when, you know, you're going to see what it's like when I'm not watching out for you. It's like a child on a bike, right? And the child's learning how to ride a bike. But they're doing great because you're holding on to the seat behind them. And then they say, no, I can do this myself. I don't need you. I don't need your help. And they try again and then immediately fall over. It's the same type of thing. Same thing is happening here. So the Lord gives a, a contingency. If you do this, then. So it relies solely on Israel at this moment. It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments. To love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and soul. Then he will give you the rain for your land. But then if you don't, if your hearts are deceived, then the Lord will shut up the heavens and you will perish quickly because it's an unforgiving land. The contingency is if you obey, the Lord's gonna be with you and if you disobey, the Lord will not be with you. For this slide, I, I said it last night, <laughs> the, the how to obey on there is kind of dumb. And, and I should have changed it, but I, I was just too lazy to write a new slide and send it into the sound booth. But how to obey here, it, it doesn't really apply. It doesn't apply to this, this situation. But because to obey, you, you just have to do it. There are things you can do to make it easier and things that you can do to make it more of a natural um, sort of thing that you do, that you walk in. But how to obey, you say yes. You know, like Anthony, Anthony likes to say, say yes and freak out later. You know, you just say yes. So when the Lord tells you something, okay. And then you start wondering, oh man, what did I, what did I agree to? But still, we, we find some principles here just in this text. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're kind of running out of time. But 
in here, we can pick out a few things that, that helps us to maintain a relationship with the Lord. Because really, we obey better when we have a strong relationship with God. And so all of this means, Moses says, you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul. And in a way, he's saying, maintain them. Maintain this relationship with God continually on an everyday basis. You know, sometimes we don't talk to God for a while. Sometimes we wait. Sometimes we'll wait months, maybe even years, I don't know, before we really pray, say something. Or we wait for a crisis to happen, and then we say, oh, Jesus, <laughs> I need you. But when things are going great, when we're not in the wilderness, it's easy for us to kind of not pay attention to the Lord. But yeah, if I were to do that with my wife, we'd be divorced pretty quickly. If, if, if I went six months without really talking to her, we wouldn't be together because there would be no relationship there. But yeah, sometimes we wait six months with the Lord and then we come strolling in the house with him and say, hey, hey Jesus, what's going on? Acting like everything's fine when there's no relationship there. There's no relationship that we've built up. We've effectively, through our apathy, through our passiveness, said, Lord, we don't need you. Yet what, what the Lord's calling us to here is to always have the Lord ready. Always have the Lord in us. Always be spending time with him. Here are some things you can do. And it's very basic. You're not going to hear anything new in this moment. So this is just an encouragement, right? To refresh yourselves in the Lord. So you read your Bible. There's so much in here that gives you an understanding of who God is. And all of the testimonies of God's goodness as well. When we read it, we get to see how God carried a people who complained, who grumbled, a people who were a lot like us and brought them out of their sin, out of their struggle, out of the wilderness into the Lord's promise. When we read the Bible, we can see those people who have chosen to disobey the Lord and see what their consequences were in the hopes that we don't make that same choice. So reading your Bible on a daily basis is, is one way to consistently have that conversation with God, consistently speak to God. Another one is to pray. You know, we've, I've asked you guys to commit to praying for New Life City at least once per day. That's a starting point. I don't know your prayer lives. Maybe some, you know, some of you are uh, really great at it, spend hours a day praying. A lot of us struggle with it. Struggle, struggle just with the busyness of the day. And the day becomes so busy, and then before we know it, the day is over, and we just want to go home and watch TV. We just want to go home, read a book. We just want to go home and rest and relax. And then we kind of forget about the Lord. But the Lord's there and, and ready and just waiting and waiting for us to come and spend time with him. Come, just come to him and say, Jesus, today sucked. Jesus, you're good. And I need help. I need, I need a change in my mind. I need a, a reframing to see your goodness in the midst of my workplace environment, in the midst of my family environment, whatever it is. Another thing you can do is just invite the Lord. And this, this, this is attached to prayer. But you can invite the Lord into any mundane thing that you're doing. If you're at the gas station getting gas, just say, Lord, how are you? What's going on? What do you have to speak to me? What are you doing in all these other people's lives? And maybe the Lord will give you something for somebody. Or if you're at the grocery store and you've had a rough day at work or a rough day with family and you kind of just got 
are getting away and you're going, just going through your chores, picking up stuff for dinner, or you may not even know what's for dinner, you can say, Lord, I don't know what to make for dinner. What should I do? And it's interesting because the Lord is so involved in our lives and so interested in our lives and so invested that he's not so far away from us. He's right here. And so he cares about us. And because he cares about us, he cares about these little things that stress us out. So when we invite the Lord into those situations, we're inviting the Lord into our life and into every single aspect of who we are. Even though it kind of seems weird, you know, it kind of seems weird to talk to the Lord about some of these things, the Lord wants to be a part of it. God wants to be a part of everything that you do, everything that you are. And then fourthly, we can share the gospel. On, in this text, it says, you shall, what is it? Teach them to your sons. Teach the ordinances to your sons. Talking to them when you sit in your household and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. So that's all the time, right? <laughs> when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you're in your house. We can also add when you're in your workplace, you can talk to people there. You can talk to people at the store. God is with us every single place that we go. So everywhere we stand is, is the kingdom of God comes with us as well. So we have the opportunity to share this gospel. We have the opportunity to share this kingdom truth with people. And doing so invites the Lord to work through us invites the Lord into our lives and, and creates this, this partnership with the Lord because there's nothing we can do to save anybody, right? You guys know that. There's nothing we can do to argue people into heaven. But it's, it's only the Lord working through us. It's the Holy Spirit who draws people to the Father. And so we need the Holy Spirit. So in the process of talking to people about Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit. So it's another way to invite the Lord. The Lord lays before Israel and even before us today. He says, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today. And the curse, if you do not, do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you by following other gods which you have not known. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, go back to the curses there in, in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see the curses laid out on Adam and Eve, the curse of the ground. Adam was always made to cultivate the ground with the Lord's help, but now Adam was going to be on his own and the ground was going to become a lot harder to, to cultivate. There's going to be toil, turmoil. Childbirth for women was made painful. Right? You had all these curses attached to their disobedience. But yet if they were to obey they would have remained in the Garden of Eden. They would have remained with the Lord. They would have remained in his promises and sat there in his presence, continually reaping the benefits of what the Lord wanted to do, of the relationship that he had set forth. The relationship that the Lord has always wanted with mankind. But when they disobeyed, they walked away from the Lord and experienced the consequences of that result and had to do life on their own which brought about certain death because away from the Lord, there's only death. In the Lord, there's life. And you see here too that because we, the Lord sets before us a blessing and a curse, we see that obedience is not passive. You can't passively just kind of hang back and, and magically end up in the land of obedience. It's, it's an action. You got to step out and, and make a choice. You got to do something. If you're passive, you're not being obedient. 
So I'll ask the question, what is your wilderness? We talked about it. It could be something that we place ourselves in or it could be something that's placed on us. The Lord says here, it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it that you shall place the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. These were two mountains that were close in proximity but sat on the opposite side of one another. And so in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, you see the, this, the ceremony that they do where they split up the Levites. Some go up Mount Gerizim, some go up Mount Ebal. And then they split up the elders from the, the, the 12 tribes. Six of the tribes' elders go up Mount Gerizim and six of the tribes' elders go up Mount Ebal. And on there, they pronounce blessings. On Mount Gerizim, they pronounce blessings and then they pronounce curses on Mount Ebal. And all of it is, real, is showing Israel very symbolically that you're gonna have to make a choice and there's only really one mountain that you can be on at one time. You can't be on both. There's only one. Are you going to be on Mount Gerizim where there's blessings or are you going to be on Mount Ebal where there's curses? And of course, the blessing is obedience and the curses are disobedience. And again, this passage here as Moses says, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the judgments which I am setting before you today. He's saying you have a choice, but there's really, there's really only one answer, right? So what does Jesus say about this? Jesus in John 14, 11 through 17 says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. If we're obedient to the Lord, then we walk in his authority. We walk in the authority of Christ and, and do the works that Christ did. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There's your reason. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The same thing with what Moses says here in Deuteronomy 11 and really all throughout Deuteronomy. But where we started in Deuteronomy 11, Moses says, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. Love and obedience are, in, are just tied together. Obedience is love. We cannot say we love the Lord if we're being disobedient, if we're not listening to him, if we're not engaged with him, and if we're not along, going along with his will. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So we've been given the Holy Spirit as a helper, as one who reveals more of the Lord to us, reveals the Father to us, who helps us and, and, and brings the authority of Christ to our actions, to our lives. Here the Lord is saying, ask in my name and you'll see it done. But that comes through obedience. We have to obey the Lord first. And through obeying, we love the Lord. So I'll ask again, what is your wilderness? What's the wilderness that you're going through now? It could be healing. You're needing healing. It could be an illness that you've struggled with for so long. 
It could be family issues, family separation, anger. It could be some tormenting thing on you, nightmares, headaches. Most of us are probably in some form of a wilderness at this moment. And so with everything that we've discussed today, at least know and be encouraged that there is hope outside of that wilderness. And that hope comes through obedience to Christ, obedience to what the Lord is calling you to do. So you may have to go home and may have to really think through about what, okay, Lord, ask the Lord, what are you doing in my life? What are you calling me to? And what have I turned away from? I know for myself, I'm very stubborn. And so when the Lord tells me something, I don't always respond right away with obedience. It takes me a while. But the Lord is there. The Lord is still working. The Lord still brings about through his graciousness and his faithfulness that we see all throughout the Bible. The Lord is always chasing after us and always wanting to bring us closer to him, closer to, to obedience, closer to love. So our wilderness is nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be scared of. Nothing to bring anxiety, resentment. Shouldn't even bring anger or frustration. Because we just know that the Lord is there. The Lord has something for us. The Lord has hope for us. Let's go ahead and get ready for communion. And as we take communion, we will remember the Lord in his wilderness and in our wilderness. And Jared's walking around with communion if anyone needs one. So as we stand here in remembrance of the body the Lord gave up for us, of what he had done on the cross for us, of, of, of how he has given his life for us, how he entered the wilderness to bring us hope, everlasting hope, we say thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for this body broken for us. And Lord, again, we thank you also for the blood that you have shed for us. This blood that cleanses us. This blood that changes us. This blood that brings us into inheritance with you. This blood that makes us children of God. We are no longer orphans, but we are children of God because of your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord.